Um, well, dude, nice to meet you, first of all. Nice to meet you, too. You know, um, you're, there's a local shop in town called Three Natives, and you're on their commercial all the time. Uh, okay, wait, this is exciting. Three Natives? What do they do at Three Natives? They're an acai bowl chain. They have about 25 different stores down in South Florida, and you're on their commercial. Oh, no, wait. Too bad Jamie's not here because I'd ask him to pull it up. What is that? Three Natives? And you're in, you're in where are you? Right now I'm in Utah, but I live in Jupiter, Florida. Okay, so the three natives is in Jupiter or Utah? Or Utah? Yeah, in Jupiter. I need to look into this. What uh, what brings you to Utah? Are you just like hanging up there? Like you're you're kind of an adventurous guy, so I feel like I never really from from what I've learned about you, you could be doing anything right now. It could be something super wild. What are you doing? Well, right now I'm with my partners, and we're building out a new company. Uh, so we're doing a little corporate retreat and in the afternoons, we're able to get out on ski slopes and, uh, hit a little bit of snowboarding while skiing. Okay, cool. I like that. How do you introduce yourself to people? I feel like there's a lot of routes you could go with it. What do you say when people meet you and they're like, well, what do you do? Oh, I introduce myself as Greg Norman Jr. Usually that spawns a big conversation like, oh, you're really Greg Norman. Yes, I'm really Greg Norman. And yes, he's really my dad. Uh, so then from there I'll go into... I do uh, technology development. I was an action sports uh, athlete for a while. Uh, play a lot of golf and building uh, companies right now in the Web3 space. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that would make a lot of sense. I feel like the uh, the people that are into golf, th- there's, there's like such an innate connection there, right? Like, I mean, you grew up with a deep love for the game. Like it wasn't because a lot of times I think people who have a family member that plays golf and especially plays professional golf and especially, especially plays professionally golf at the level that your father did, you might not have the same reaction as they do to the game, but you fell in love with it. I did, you know, growing up, it, I loved the game, played junior varsity varsity team, in my high school, the Benjamin school in South Florida, uh, Loved it, but didn't love it as much as my other sports, which were surfing, kite surfing, and wakeboarding. And the reason behind that, you know, being 36 now, I could reflect on why I didn't fall in love with the game so much is because of the pressure that was on me to live up to everyone's expectations. Being having the name Greg Norman, they immediately immediately thought that I would just be a pro golfer. And I played a lot of tournaments growing up. I played a lot of big amateur events, uh, big amateur events like, like teeing up next to Ricky Fowler, for example, who was the best amateur, one of the best amateurs in the world at the time. And unfortunately, I would get the cameras in my face just because of my name, not because of my skill, when there were a lot of other players out there that deserve the notoriety and the attention because of their skill level, not because of who they are and who their father was. So in, in, in essence, I pushed away from golf, even though I loved it because I wanted to find my own path and my own path was in surfing and kite surfing and wakeboarding, which I ended up becoming a professional at and allowed me to craft my own career and my own identity. I want to talk about a lot more than golf. And especially I want to talk a lot more about things not related to what you just spoke about in regards to, I guess, playing in the shadow of your dad, if you want to call it that or whatever. I mean, I called it that, but I just, I just have to reflect on something that just happened to all of us in the golf world as fans, where we watched a young man play with his father, both wearing red. Did you have an experience with that, that 
maybe only you have, right? Did you watch that and say, huh, yeah, I wonder how that's going to go. Or, you know what I mean? Did you have a thought? You talking about the father-son? Yeah. The PNC? Yeah, that, that's a special moment for sure. Uh, I've got to caddy for my dad. Well, walked alongside the ropes with the fans in a lot of big tournaments from the British Open to the Masters. And got to experience the level of anxiety, stress, and anticipation of a golf tournament that puts on a player from a very young age through my father. But you don't know what that feels like, right? Um, and then got to caddy for my dad a few times as well at some very big events, British Open and the Augusta. I got to caddy for him at the Masters in 2008 or nine, if memory serves correctly. And that was phenomenal. Again, you get to feel a lot of what the player feels out there. But it's not until you get to tee up inside the ropes where actually the eyes are on you to hit the shot or make the putt do you actually get to experience in some way, shape, or form what it's like to be them. Now, being a son of Greg Norman, he's done a lot, right? But you don't ever get to have any type of connection to that feeling of being in a tournament where a lot is on the line. I've played amateur events. I've played high school events. Still nothing like it would it be like to have a camera in your face with all eyes on you to hit the shot. And that is what's so special about the father-son because it allows family to experience something that they you just can't ever comprehend unless you're in that position yourself. So the father-son's phenomenal for us. I mean, we we're we haven't done it this year, and we unfortunately we got COVID during it last year, and we were playing really well. But it is something that it it, it binds you, it connects you for. Uh, anticipation of it for half a year to a year in advance. You know, we're looking forward to it. It's something that, you know, we get to reflect on six to seven months down the road over a beer and dinner about, hey, like, what did you feel during this shot? And to have my dad ask me that rather than me asking him that and have that conversation, that connection back and forth is really special. And I, I really do love how the PNC open it up for all family members, not just father and son. You know, it's pretty special that you could have Justin and his father playing. You could have um, uh, Bernhard Langer and his daughter playing. I mean, that, that's phenomenal. And I, I really applaud PNC for doing that and putting on the event because, you know, family members get to experience, you know, what defines the family, which is tournament golf. And that's something that can't be put into into words or something that can't be put into writing or can't be explained by the family member, by the father. It's something that has to be experienced. And to get that little touch of what that is, it gets you appreciation of what they did out there in order to make it to become a major champion, and which is exceptional. Yeah, it's it's making me think about, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's there's not a lot of people out there like you, but there are actually some like you. Like, are, do you do you talk to Taylor or Funk at all? Do you talk to any other, you know, um, kids that grew up with professional golf in the household and have like a kinship there with them? And you know, do you guys do you do you have any relationship with people like that? Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, from Taylor, he's a good friend. Uh, to Greg Price. Taylor's in Austin, right? Taylor's in Austin. He travels around a fair bit, and what a phenomenal golfer he is. And it just it just goes to show, like, you have a guy like Taylor who is such a good golf swing and such a good player, 
how hard it is to just get over the line. Another prime example is Olin Brown Jr. Olin Brown Jr. is exceptionally good. His father obviously has been on tour and Champions Tour for decades. And OBJ, he is just, I mean, he's got one of the course records at the Medals Golf Club, right? He holds one of the lowest scores at one of the hardest golf course, golf courses in South Florida where the majority of the PGA Tour play is at. He is that good. And yet he just needs that little extra, not talent, because he absolutely has that. It's that little, like, right place, right time. He makes that putt in order to get over that hump, in order to get on the PGA Tour. And, uh, and like, it's I applaud him for chasing after it like he does because he is so talented and he has what it takes to be out there on tour versus, like, I, I don't know, someone like more like me um, who her, his father was very, very, very good, which is Nick Price and Greg Price. Him and I found our own path. Greg Price loves to surf. I love to surf. We allowed us to divine ourselves. I'm just trying to imagine two sons of like legendary golfers are, is there, is there like a joke there where you're just like, Oh my God, like I can't, I can't with the, like, you know, you've heard these stories about how um, meticulous the, these athletes at the top of their game are with like cutting their fingernails at the same day and time every week. Or like, you know, it's, are, are, are you ever just like, I, finally I can share with someone about this, this personality. Does that ever come up? It, it definitely does. Uh, like Greg Price is named after my dad. That's how close my dad and Nick were. Whoa. Right. So my dad and Nick, after they're done being number one or number two in the world and competing head to head at the you know British Open or any major, they would go off on the boat to the Bahamas, fish, drink beer, laugh all day, be good friends. You know, and I, I see that now with a lot of my friends like DJ and a few other guys out there where they're able to let loose and become friends after there. It's not just that competitive, I want to rip your throat out every time and beat you. They're like that on the on the golf course. But when they come off, they're friends. And that's how it should be. Because there, there's not many people in the world who are in their position. There's not many people where they could sit down across the table from and have a beer and have a conversation like, wow, look what we're doing right here, right? Like we are Greg Norman from South from Northern Australia, Queensland. And Nick Price from South Africa, Zimbabwe, who came to came from different sides of the world to dominate a sport that's so unique. I don't think you can possibly get that in not many other sports out there. You don't really get that in football because there's you know it's really centralized and not very global. And you can get that in a few other individual sports like surfing, for example. You have Kelly Slater from Cocoa Beach, Florida, and then you have a guy like. Uh, Italo, Italo uh, Ferreira from Brazil, who are now traveling around the world together and chasing after their dreams and chasing after their opportunities and their sport and dominating their sports because some unique factor that came along, whether it be their attention to detail, their OCD, or their drive to get better, or their methodical nature about practice, they found something that allowed them to do and carve in a unique niche in life which is so cool. And so like a, a guy like Greg and I, Greg Price Jr. and I, or even like to a certain degree, uh, Gary Nicholas Jr. can have, we have great conversations about that. You know, Gary Nicholas Jr., phenomenal golfer as well. I mean, he played on the tour. He's won some major amateur events. He's a great guy. It's just that pressure of being 
the son of Jack Nicholas, didn't really ever get to them or get to him. It was the fact that golf is just so hard. And you just need that one little click to get over the edge. And if you get that click and that opportunity, all you need is that one opportunity to set you on a path for the rest of your life. And it, it just really comes down to, did that putt fall in or not? <laughs> did you make the putts? And it, as you, we all know here as a golfer, some days they roll in, some days they don't. And when you need them to roll in, they need to roll in. And that will just really make the rest of your career. So it, I love that you kind of ended with that kind of, you know, there, there, there's golf, which is a game for millions of people, right? And it's a game of leisure. It's a game of friendship. It's a game of uh, pastime. But for a very small handful, um, it's a game of um, intensity. It's a game of um, risk. And um, I'm wondering, I guess I've, I guess I've always seen the comparison of golf and surfing, right? Oh, yeah, I get it, right? But I've never quite seen the comparison between golf and kite surfing. What is that? Is, is, there a, is, there a, is it related to that element of risk, of fear, of conquering uh, something so terrifying? Yeah, kite surfing, wakeboarding, surfing, uh, golf, uh, every individual sport, whether it's, it's an action sport or it's like golf, it comes down to the factor of mental versus physical. I mean, to mentally get over the fact that you have a 20-foot wave coming at you that's going to potentially throw you on a jagged, razor-sharp reef where you probably will get really messed up is the same mental thing that happens of I got to block out. There are millions of people watching me right now to make a putt. Now I've never been in that position. I've been in like seen been in, I played AT&T Pebble beach with my dad, played the PNC with my dad. So I got some little thing, some little taste of what it's like to be under that type of pressure, but that pressure where it comes down to whether it's, you got to commit. There's no one else available to back you up to be able to execute on what you have to do, whether it's dropping in on a 20 foot wave and getting barreled at pipeline or at cloud break and winning at the last second or making a 20 foot breaking right to left putt to win a tournament. It's, it's you just got to focus on everything else on yourself and what you got to do and execute and block out the fact that if you fail, everyone sees you fail. And what do you do if they see you fail? Well, majority of times you are going to fail. You are going to not make that putt. You're not going to make that wave. You're not going to land that trick. You're probably going to get either physically or mentally broken from that. And how do you fix that? Well, the only way you can fix that is by believing yourself and going and try it again and try it again and do it until eventually you do land the trick, get the barrel, or make the putt to win a tournament. That's all the same thing. Now, luckily golf doesn't have the physical, immediate physical short-term impact and pain like a surfing or kite surfing does, but it's still the same thing between the ears. You gotta commit to it and you gotta realize that you're a high probability you're gonna fail and how are you gonna handle that? How are you gonna dust yourself off and on a global stage even in front of millions of people like, adhere to failure. It, that's a tough thing to do. And I, I don't know how a guy like my dad was able to get over uh, the masters or other failures like PJ tour. He just carried on and he just made it work. 
He just did it. He used it as fuel for himself to get better right. every time. And when it got to a point with like golf, where he was waning out of golf and focusing into business, he used that past failure as fuel to get better and everything else. And that was the biggest lesson I learned from my dad and anything I did in my career with it, whether it be action sports or being an entrepreneur or build, building a business, you're going to fail. You're probably going to fail the vast majority of the times. Get used to it, learn from it, and get better. So I, I think that's, to answer your question, that's the biggest uh, analogy between the two is that you're all alone. And if you're all alone, you got to be com comfortable being all alone in failure. So I, 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 have, I love that you brought it to business because I was going to, that was my kind of plan was to ask you about the risk associated with these two sports that are, you know, maybe on the face of it, not too connected. Um, but there is a, a parallel there that you talked about commitment, uh, you know, uh, fear and failure and, and repetition. And then I was literally, my next question was going to be, how does that apply to what your life is made up mostly of now from, a, from a, you know, your, your life's work is, is business. And I want to get into that now. And, and, you know, is there, is there an emotional aspect to that similar to golf and, and all these other sports? A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent is an emotional aspect to it. No one who says differently is frankly full of crap <laughs> because it really does hurt a lot about what you have to do on a day to day basis, not alone just internally about the failures or the success that you try to put on your plate and the pressure you put on your plate, but the people that the people that demand your excellence, if I can only say it that way, because they're crafting their lives based on what you do for example in sport you'll have a team around you you have like my dad he had a caddy he had a manager he had a trainer he had then in business he used the ceo and, and board member and chairman of the board of greg norman company where he had dozens of people underneath him that required him to be able to make the decisions and execute because they're relying on him to base their lives off of businesses like that if you're leading a business or you're an entrepreneur or you're a CEO of a company, you are the end, the end of everything. If you are the business is going well, you can't take credit for it because majority of the time, the vast majority of the time is because your people are doing a phenomenal job. If the business fails, you have to take the accountability on that on your shoulders because you can't put that on your shoulders, on the shoulders of other people. You have to take that on yours because that's what a leader should do. That's what an athlete does. That's what a leader does. If it something fails on the, the golf course or in the water or in the boardroom or executing a deal, and if you're the leader, if you're the person doing it, it is on you. So it is highly, highly emotional, both the up and the down. When you actually do execute a deal and do things really well and it works and everyone's really happy around you, it's the best feeling in the world. Right. Like winning a tournament or winning a, a competition. It's amazing. But that's fleeting. That's a tiny, tiny percentage of what it really is happening out there. In that, fle that fleeting moment, that great moment, oh, we just won this tournament or we just landed or made the biggest deal that set global records in sales. That's a tiny section of it. And that maybe you get it for that high or that energy for 10, 15 minutes. And then it goes away because you should be executing on what is next after that. that that's the next step to building something better. So it is highly emotional. It is, it's very tough. You don't get much sleep. Just like uh, right before a golf tournament or right before a competition, 
you're probably not sleeping well because you're going through your head over and over again about what could happen for the best and for the worst. And you have to, <laughs> we all think about the worst all the time, whether it be for business or the, I think for business more so because you have to prepare for the worst in order to make sure it doesn't happen. And in sport, you have to think about that too. You have to think about, oh shit, I'm um, like, okay, uh, I, I learned this from Mr. Nicholas. He, he said to me, very, very lucky to have a conversation with him one day. My first PNC, or at that time it was called the Dell Webb Father Son. He, uh, he said to me, look, what your swing is for the tournament that day is what you're going to find on the range that morning. So if you're cutting the ball, play their cut. If you're drawing the ball, play that draw. And that's what he did. He played his swing for the day because he was able to adapt to that situation and be able to overcome whatever was between the ears and just execute on what was right and what would felt, what felt good at that moment. And because there's so in, in the, the analogy to business, you're going to have so many things that you can't foresee that are going to take place that you can't possibly imagine that you just have to roll with it and deal with it and be able to try to execute the best possible way you can. So uh, it's, I think there's nothing greater of analogy for or preparation for an entrepreneur than be, than being an individual athlete or even on a team sport. A team sport probably more so. Now I'm not really knowledgeable about being on a team sport, but you know, being a quarterback or being a coach is very much that that's the all the responsibilities on their shoulders, right? It's not on it's not on management. It's not on the executive teams uh, or like the the marketing team or the the board members, it's on that one person. They better weigh it on their shoulders and deal with it correctly. Like Tom Brady last night during his game, right? They played phenomenal. Or was that two nights ago? They played absolutely phenomenal. They they came back to nearly win and then at the last second opposing team kicks a field goal. No matter how good they did, they're no longer in the Super Bowl. And now Brady's got to make the decision, should I continue on again or not going to retire personally i don't think he's going to retire because brady and he's yeah. he's, nah, he's, too, he's so. in too deep it, it's funny going talking about your like describing the pivot that mr nicholas was talking about as far as like playing the cut you know i think um that's probably uh a hard i don't know i'm just imagining that's a hard lesson to learn like that's while that is probably one of the most important business things that you could get and maybe golf advice i could only imagine how my last round would have gone if I had just stopped fighting whatever was happening on the range and just and just and just let the ball fly the way it was wanting to fly. How in business do you, you know, how do you do that? How do you how do you just um, how do you know when is the how do you know when it's the right shot to hit? You know what I mean? Like, how do you see the trend and say, you know, okay, actually, I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to try something different. Yeah, I think you got to have your baseline with ethics and moral kind of leading the way. What is right to do? You know, you adhere to your contracts for sure, but you better adhere to your ethics and moral because, you know, it's business. People are going to see dollars in their eyes and try to get power and try to get positions. And at the end of the day, you only have your reputation to adhere to. And if you don't adhere to that, I don't think there's a point of continuing on or, you know, doing what you're going to beat yourself up right. about. But my dad told me one thing very early age, the hardest thing about business is human resources because emotions come involved. And when you allow emotions to be involved with business and not allow you to make rational, logical decisions, things and anomalies happen. You know, people have 
nuanced lives that come in that bleed into the side of the business where it comes to execution or decision making. And you got to learn how to adapt to, okay, what's the goal of the company, but how do we get everybody in line in order to do that? And if John Smith had a bad night or is, you know, allowing his personal life to come in, you got to deal with that. And that's something you'd never prepare, prepare for, but you should be aware that things like that could happen. So, prep in your mind how are you going to deal with that as it goes along or like a partner one day could just decide i don't want to do this anymore and that's your crutch that's your core you know, your team in order to execute on the vision of the company and that one person just exited or mentally exited and didn't want to put it to fight anymore so you're going to, have to learn how to deal with that you're going to, have to bring in other people you're going to, have to fight for everybody's current goal and deal with human emotions, which is very, very, very difficult. It's the hardest part about business. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're all, uh, you know, analog, right? A lot, a lot of variability there. Um, yeah. Kind of, uh, kind of a segue into your world now, right? It seems that uh, you're focused mostly on the digital realm, on on the the future of the internet, as people are kind of calling it. What what is it about it for you that kind of what what is the fascination there? Is there a singular thing that you care about or that you want or that you know that's interesting? Yeah, so I was uh, through kiteboarding. I got to be very close to an organization called MyTai, and then the individuals in there were one of the leading developers and investors and thinkers about cryptocurrency and what blockchain technology could do. And that was early back in the 2013 days, 2014 days. So even though I've known about it for a long time, it took me so long to understand and wrap my head around what it's capable of actually doing. And now crypto and what it provides is digital authenticity and digital scarcity. And we live in a very, very digital world. This is what we're doing right now is a form of metaverse. We're talking in the digital realm. It's not... Roblox, it's not Fortnite, it's not Decentraland or Sandbox where you have a digital character going around, but this is a derivative of the metaverse. We live our lives a lot more today digitally than we do 10, 15 years ago. And I think it's a natural progression of where we're at right now due to macro environments, COVID forced us to be this way, but also the way the internet was progressing. The internet is everywhere. We're all part of it. We live and breathe the internet to make our day-to-day -day lives happen. And this is just the next progression of it. So Web3 is that next evolution of it built upon what blockchain could provide, which is digital ownership. And when I fully got to wrap my head around it in the early part of 2021 by building in the space, did I fully understand its capabilities? And it, it's so hard, even for me, to be able to talk about this the right way because it's such a foreign feeling because you absolutely flip everything on its head about business models. So current past business models is you come up with an idea, you, you're an entrepreneur or an inventor, you come up with an idea about a new business or a new product or service, right? Then you try to figure out how to build that product or service. Then you try to figure out the best or cheapest method to be able to do that so you can have your best ROI. And then you got to go produce the product. And then you got to go market the product. 
Then you got to find product mark, product market fit, and then you got to market the product, and then you got to find customers to buy that product or that service. Web three, and for me at least, and for everyone that I is now building and associated with, have seen it completely different. Where you flip the whole thing on its head, you start with the customers, you build a community around an idea, and that idea allows them to be participants in the growth of that product or that service or that business. Because through NFTs or through in blockchain, they actually own an asset that is growing and evolving and developing and, 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 and becoming more valuable over time because of the growth of the network. And so Boonji Project, we did this with Brendan Murphy, who is a contemporary artist. We built this project, which was gonna be a PFP avatar project, 11,111 individual NFT collections, an art project based upon his past artwork. With zero marketing dollars, with zero effort besides just our, sorry, I shouldn't say zero effort because we put a lot of effort into it. Zero dollars to build our, the idea of it in the global marketplace. We brought in 140,000 people to buy 11,000 products. We didn't have to put any dollars with that. We had to market that. Everyone wanted to become involved with it because they're buying an asset. They're buying a piece of digital scarcity. And it's pure economics. It's supply and demand. Through the blockchain, you can show that there is a limited supply of something. And if you could build demand around it, that is just economics 101. The price is going to go up over time. So with Boonji Project, with that, we were able to iterate the product and the service that we we're going to provide them with the customers from day one. We are able to say, hey, what were you going to like? What would you see out of this? What, what vision do you want to participate in and see develop over time? And they helped us develop that product. LinksDAO, prime example. So LinksDAO was launched by Mike Dudas and Chris Mattern and another couple of individuals that came around of idea. What is, what can we do with NFTs in the real life space rather than just art projects or um, PFPs or like Board API Club, which was just a, a piece of art. So there is a, obviously you know and I know how much attention and how many people love golf. Well, it turns out that kind of attention, how much love is also in the crypto space. So we we're able to combine the two. So from idea to launch of the, di the Discord and the Twitter, 18 days later to the NFT sale, we did eight, uh, $11 million in sales. And those $11 million went into a treasury to support the growth of a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. So then people can participate in the formation, execution, operation of actually owning and being a part of a golf course, which has never been done before. This, is, this technology allows us, everybody, to participate in the upside of development of an operation or a service. Now... How cool is that, that you get to then vote? And we're having a big vote tonight at LinksDAO on our Discord about strategic operational decisions about the formation of this. That owners of the NFT get to vote on how the operations go. Like, sure, we have a, a little primitive of this through public markets and equities where you have shareholder meetings, they get to vote on it. But this is far more robust and ingrained to what the NFT holder or the token holder can do because they are actually being participants in the formation of this very new entity that's groundbreaking. 
And that is the goal to buy a top 100 golf course in the United States that is governed and operated and the membership is via the NFTs, which has never been done before. There are a couple other use cases out there and case studies that have done this, but never in the golf world. Now, which I think is very, very cool because we've all been, you know, a public municipal golf course is not truly public. The public doesn't vote on what the operation is or what how the golf course is going to be laid out, what type of budgeting is going to be required to it, how you know, who's going to operate it, all these different nuances. But now with this, you actually can. The NFT holders, the members can vote on it. And then if they want to sell their membership, they could do that in a very global liquid market via the NFT. So you could sell it. It appreciates the value. They could sell it. They can make a profit. And the beautiful thing about it is the business or the entity behind it gets a royalty every time it's traded on the open marketplace. So they get cash flow every time there's a trading volume taking place. And this has never happened before either. Will there be an artist who's selling their product? So I paint a piece of art like this, sell it to you. That's one transaction. I'm done. I don't see a cut from that. If my piece of art appreciates over time and you can go and then sell it for, say you bought it for hundred bucks and then you sell it for $10,000, you get all the profit. The owner or the original creator of it never sees a cut of that. With blockchain technology, the original creator, the brand, the artist, the IP, the institution, whatever, will always see cash flow from that in perpetuity because of the royalties baked into the trading volume that takes place. So you get to now capitalize a entire endeavor, like the idea behind buying a top 100 golf course through the sale of NFTs and these tokens, and or a service without getting away equity, without giving away debt, because you are issuing these NFTs and these NFTs provide these individuals that own it, one, a digital asset that's secure, scarce. So it's potentially going to increase in value and utility part of it, the voting rights, the discounts, the partnerships, the everything that comes along with it. So it's a truly symbiotic relationship with your customer and the brand to develop something over time. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I love it, dude. You're you're fucking into it, man. I love how into it you are. What so so um gosh, so many questions I want to ask. Do you think um will NFT holders be able to vote on what course that the DAO that the Lynx DAO ends up purchasing? That's the ultimate goal. I can't answer that right now because we're building out the framework for that. Now, now I'll, I'll okay. define a little bit more for with framework. So the eleven million dollars has gone into a treasury. That treasury is then being used to formulate the legal framework to be able to do this and execute on this correctly. Legal framework and also hiring the executive minds to be able to execute on this. So eventually, when the DAO is formulated correctly and built correctly, then we could raise capital in order to buy one of these golf courses, top 100 golf courses. That is in tangent with the token holders, the NFT holders. They will be able to have a vote into potentially what golf course we're buying. Is there a top 100 golf course for sale? There are uh, probably not many, but uh, there are some out there. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, can you ballpark it for me? I mean, it's got to be, if it's a top 100 course, it's got to be almost nine figures, right? If not, it definitely exceeding. Okay. So this, this is a beautiful thing about the Dow because, okay, in the United States, there are restrictions about 
uh, investor laws, right? You got to have credit investor laws. Yeah, the Dow can't own the You got $100,000 liquidity yeah. in order to be able to do X, Y, and Z invest. That's kind of BS. It, 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 allow, it doesn't allow people to participate in owning an asset. The Dow allows a global liquid market to be able to throw in $5, $10, $100, a million dollars they want to be participants in the curation of that business, that, that, that product or that service. So we then get to raise through a global liquid market as much money as we possibly could need to be able to buy one of those golf courses if the attention and demand is there. And it seems like it is. It seems like people like right. this idea. They like the idea of being first in this new realm of digital ownership, of the fact that they get to participate in this new idea, which is we're going to go buy a top 100 golf course and your NFT is going to allow you to become a member of that golf course. But they wouldn't own any part of the golf course. That's, 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 a, that's a law, right? I can't answer that right now. And there's a lot of nuance behind that. And, and the reason why okay. behind that is because security laws, you can't promise upside unless it becomes a security. So right now we're saying like, look, you're part of this community. You're, you're, you're allowing us to participate in this endeavor by being an NFT holder. But when you can't promise you, you're going to have any upside over that. If the, the digital, if, sorry, if the secondary marketplace deems that asset as more valuable, then that value increases over time. But you get the ability to help build us this endeavor, this, this the idea that it could be a truly democratized operation of a golf course. So I guess, when did you get involved with Mike and, and Adam and these guys? Was that like... Was that early on? No, this is three, four weeks ago. That's how quickly this all happened. Okay. Uh, I put out a tweet about what it would be like to have access as a member to Augusta National through an NFT. Uh, how could golf memberships work as NFT and trading on a global market? And then they announced they're launching the Lynx DAO. I reached out to them saying, this is phenomenal. I'd love to be a participant in this. Literally 18 days later, the NFTs were launched, $11 million were raised, the Discord is formed, we got 25,000 people in the Discord, close to 25,000 people on Twitter following it, we're going to have our first vote tonight, and it, this is happening in real time. We're iterating it, learning and growing about this with the community in real time, which is very, very cool to be a part of. What do you think will be like the next thing that happens right like like so you guys have you've owned you you've owned the first spot on the block with regards to uh you know having nfts essentially go in and buy a golf course right and and have that be it's the first thing that it's the first time it's ever happened what do you think will be the next thing that happens you guys have probably learned a lot in this process and i, I did talk with adam and he said you know there are some things we would have done differently um, or that we, you know, if we were doing it a second time, what do you think is going to be the next iteration of, um, you know, golf membership, golf property development, uh, combined with, you know, NFT ownership and utility tokens? I really, I do believe all physical product services will be tokenized, put on the blockchain to prove ownership and to prove scarcity of that product and authenticity of that product. So in terms of the DAO, you could formally, you could quickly raise capital to do a massive endeavor. And I'm speaking with other organizations right now that are, are formulating DAOs to 
purchase some of the biggest sports teams in the world. I'm not going to say what sports teams they are. I'm not going to say what sport it is in. But there are, uh, the one I can say, which I'm not a part of, they're chasing after purchasing a pro soccer league in Europe right now. You know, that, but that's what's possible through this because you allow access to an idea through a global liquid market. So, again, I, I fully believe the majority of all physical products and services will be tokenized and shown proof of ownership on the blockchain because of how it is so much easier and so much more fluid to do business with your customers and with your community alongside you and how much more efficient it is for that business to do it this way as tokenization takes place, as global tokenization takes place because of the global liquid market that it provides. It's no longer sticky. You could go online right now, list a product that is correlated to a digital, uh, a physical asset or a physical service on any uh, on the block on uh, any secondary marketplace like OpenSea, and you have an incredibly liquid market. But isn't that like if we're talking about thousands of people owning something? And I don't, I don't. You haven't told me what you're voting on tonight, but isn't that just total chaos? Thousands of people owning a sports team. Like, how do you, you know, what about all of the? What about those charismatic team owners that are like they worked hard, they did their job, and then they wanted to get into a sport, and they're the face of it? I mean, I'm. Trust me, I'm all into community and, and public service and things like that, but isn't it just chaotic in the Discord? What's it like over there? Yeah, well, sure it is. I mean, you do have a lot of opinions, a lot of emotions, and a lot of people wanting to have their say or at least show that they're part of the community and fight for their part of the community. So there is a trade-off that takes place. Fully decentralized, which is that everyone has a vote for everything, which becomes chaotic or a hybrid, which is decentralized versus centralized. And I think as we're experiencing right now with the legal framework being built in the United States, you have to have both. For example, if you don't develop an LLC or C Corp for the DAO and something happens, then every individual member of that DAO could be held liable for the actions of that company. Now, if you incorporate it and create an LLC and have a C Corp based around it, then it's just like every other thing. Individual owners or participants in that business will not be held accountable or liable for an action that takes place that could be deemed negligible. Now, not saying this does happen, but this is the inevitable use case, the inevitability of any business out there. You have to protect everyone around you. So we are seeing right now iterations that are happening right now. Everyone technically is learning from everybody as we build out the space because of the openness of what it is. Everyone is building in the open right now. We're building right now these, this DAO with our holders on Discord and Twitter so everyone can see what's happening and vote on it. So if they want to be, if they don't want to participate anymore, they could sell their NFT and thank you very much. Let's, let's carry on. Or they could go, wow, this is something really unique and cool. I want to be a participant of this. I want to vote on this. Does it grant me every 100% voting right on every little iteration of the business or the product or the service? No, it probably shouldn't be. But that's where the participants in it can see who is involved with it because it's completely open, doxed. It's, no, it's not anonymous. 
and be able to say, hey, okay, these individuals here know what they're doing or hope, at least have an idea what they're doing. I'm going to trust on them and want to be part of this along with them. So they have the opportunity to get in and get out because of the global liquid market I talked about. Right. So, so with regards to your interactions with the golf Dow community, what do you think is driving them? Right. Are they, are they interested in buying an NFT and selling it or are they actually passionate about, you know, I mean, 10,000 people is a lot of members for a golf course. I mean, anyone would agree there. Like how do, how does that work? Are they, is it passion for golf? Is it, or is it profit? There's probably some speculation involved with it, without a doubt. Some people say, oh, wow, this person involved with it. This person involved with it. Steph Curry just announced he's going to be a part, is a part of it and owns an NFT. Jake Owen just announced he's part of it as well, the country music star. So, oh, wow, if there's a limited supply, I should probably buy some of it because if it's a limited supply, high demand, economics dictates the price goes up. So there are speculators in the space that come in. They just want to be seeing it for a quick flip or a quick buck. But I think that's not the majority of people. And all you have to do is go on the Discord and talk with these people. They love their golf, and they love the idea of what crypto and NFTs could do for their love of golf, which has allowed them to be participants in this community. So you, have, you do have both, but I think the vast majority of people out there just love the fact that they actually have the opportunity to be in the ground floor or something like this. Like, could you imagine, uh, throw it out in the sky. Could you imagine if you had the opportunity to be a part of a community that was going to purchase the New York Jets or the Miami Dolphins or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or whatever sport you want to have to, that you had, like the opportunity to be a part of that is gigantic in the long run if it does happen. But along the way, I guarantee you this, you're going to create a lot of relationships, you're going to learn a lot, and you're going to be a part of a community that is going to probably want to do the best for everyone alongside of it. And that is the definition of Web3, where everyone can participate in the upside of what the brand, the IP, the organization, the product or service or business is doing. And I just don't see how that's not happened before, except in the public equities market, but you really don't have much control over it. You really don't have much visibility over it, except on the quarterly reports. This is being built in real time in front of you, right in front of your face, if you want to be a part of it. Do you think that there's anything that you would have done differently now that you're all now that you're set up? Is there anything you would have changed in the release of the tokens themselves and the structure of the DAO? No, no, I, I don't, because it was very, um, very very visible and very transparent up front that the ownership of the NFT does not dictate that you own the actual entity. It allows you voting rights in certain aspects of it and allows you the opportunity to one day say, all right, I really want to become a member of this. So I don't have to go through any type of vetting process or queue process. If the golf course is acquired and I'm an NFT holder, I get first in line to be able to then purchase a real life membership to this golf course. That's completely up to you. Everything is visible. We like the, the owners and the operators and those running this are in the Discord and on Twitter daily speaking with the community, letting them know exactly what is happening and letting them know, hey, look, we're in the early days of this. If you want to help us and iterate on this and grow this, participate in this. But this is something that you can do. You can participate in this 
really cool idea. And if you if it succeeds, you're going to succeed along with us because that again is the definition of Web three. If the idea and the community form together and the success of it happens for one, it happens for all. Will there be more than, or will there only be ten thousand members based on the or whatever your number is nine thousand? I think I remember reading. Um, will will there be more memberships available at any point? Uh, so right now the the total NFT collection is just around nine thousand or so, and there are currently five thousand three hundred or so individual owners of those nine thousand collection. No, the, the the leisure DAO and the leisure token and the global token that's a fixed amount. It should never be increased or never be decreased. That is it. Okay, that that's that's not saying that's that how many individual members there are at that golf course because again. The NFT holders are not members at this theoretical golf course. They have to then elect to be members of the golf course when the golf course comes along. So, do you it, think there'll be another way to become a member? They have to buy a membership on the global marketplace, on the secondary marketplace, from those that want to sell it. And that's that's what's so unique about what this technology provides. Because if the foundation of it does show that there's a fixed amount, a fixed supply, and then all that dictates then afterwards is demand. So, will the membership? Uh, come in the form of an NFT as well? It should, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And how? when do you all anticipate that becoming news, being available? I, I, ideally, I mean, if everything works absolutely perfectly, Q4 2022, Q1 20, 2023, but there, this is now dealing with very much in real life circumstances. And to buy a business or buy an entity that quickly is very, very difficult to do. So there's no telling if it's going to happen on X date or Y date. It's just we're sure, sure. working hard to do it. And you could see everyone working hard to do it by the visibility of what the community allows. So what is the, the, the vote tonight is sort of, it's not a huge vote. I'm assuming this is more of going through the motions, getting getting some reps in. Exactly right. It, it is a big vote, but it also is the first vote we're doing through the community, which is gigantic because it's going to set the precedence of how we do votes or how we learn how to do votes in that community. And uh, I mean, the, to be honest, I mean the idea of a DAO has been around for a few years, but this is. And what I, I believe and a few other people believe the year of the DAO, where the DAO actually has the capabilities of forming entities that do amazing things. I don't know if you heard about it. You heard the Constitution DAO? Do you hear about that story? I haven't heard of that, no. Okay, the Constitution DAO. I'm still learning. Raised 40. Oh, they bought the Constitution. They didn't, they yeah. didn't buy the Constitution. They got close. They raised around $40 million to buy the Constitution. Now, it didn't sell to them because the nature of the blockchain is very visible. They could see how much money is being raised. So some guy, I'm not going to name him, he just walked in the last second and put up another dollar for that vote or that auction and won because he knew it was going to happen. But the idea was – Wait, I, is this person oh a public God. figure? Sorry? Is this person a public figure? A, a very public figure, of a VC, a big-name guy. Um, but he's anonymous in this scenario. No, he's, he's very public. You can look it up. I'm, I'm just not going to name names here. But he, he picked up, he bought the Constitution, but it proved how you could formulate an idea, raise capital very quickly through the global marketplace to execute on that idea. 
And the Constitution DAO is still a thing. They have a trading ERC-720 token right now that's done very well through the volatility of it, of this you know, crypto market volatility right now. And they're still chasing after opportunities. I don't know what they're chasing after because I'm not in that community. But it showed, hey, wow, we could raise a ton of money really quickly to do something that a lot of people want to do, which is, in that case, buy the Constitution. In this case, buy a golf course where they could have access as a member to be a part of. Now, how cool so would it be like wait, what happened to the... throwing out a name? Could you imagine being a member at Shinnecock or Augusta or Pinehurst? And it could happen if you could raise enough money through a DAO. I mean, if, if you could raise, I mean, you could raise any amount of capital that the demand is there. So, so to, to go on to the other side of this, right? I'm positive. You're positive. We love it. We think it's great. We think it's interesting. What happened to the people who put the money into the Constitution DAO and didn't get the Constitution? Do they care? No, you, you can go look at the chart. The Constitution DAO has got a trading ERC-720 token right now, which is like you know, Ethereum or uh, Bitcoin that is a fungible token that trades like anything else on the global marketplace. So it's doing well. If they, so, they bought the, so they bought the token in order to get the Constitution, but they didn't get the Constitution, but the token's still worth something? Yeah, the, the, the Constitution DAO still has a lot of liquidity behind it, and people are trading that token just like they would trade anything else. Do you have – does your dad well, – does your dad love this stuff, or is he just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I, I've been talking to him about this since 2013, 2012, and he's finally okay. came around because I built in the space now. You know, Beginning of the year, we built a very successful project, and I got to show him, hey, look, here's what it actually can capable of doing. Here's the real metrics behind it. Here's the possibilities right. that can do. And he is fully on board now with what the possibilities of Web3 creation allows. Right. Yeah, it does create a lot of possibilities. I would imagine that there's also a, a, a lot of people who are skeptical because, I mean, I guess the concern would be what if LinksDAO can't buy uh, not even a top 100 golf course, but can't you guys still need to buy a golf course? and there's a lot of steps to that process that, I mean, even just a normal group of people that are already knowledgeable of golf might have a problem. So I'm just, is that a concern or is there, it doesn't really matter because the NFT itself is still worth something. No, it's always a concern and everyone should out there be fully aware that they are fully uh, uh, accountable for any type of dollar they put in any project, right? This is a project. It's an opportunity. We're chasing after it just like any other formation of a startup of a coffee shop or a restaurant, you're taking a risk by investing or participating in the startup of that business. You absolutely are accountable for everything you do. And the vast majority of all the projects out there, probably 95% of every project in crypto will probably go to zero or in the NFT space. A few of them, just like the 90s dot-com bubble, will make it through and be very, very valuable. Now, I don't know... Who is going to do that? No one's got a global ball who's going to do that. But just like investing in anything, whether it be a global, whether it be the public equities market or a startup of, again, the coffee shop, you're going to take a risk and you are accountable for putting your money into something. And you are got to do your due diligence. You got to understand who is behind it, where the all the treasury is going and how it's being allocated, the Every risk associated, do your own research before you ever get into any one of these projects. You have to do that. You can't speculate. And a lot of people do speculate out there with fully understanding 
what the technology is or what the vision is or what the, the founding team are. So definitely do that first right. before you jump into anything. As a as a person as a as a customer in the space, right? Also, I'm, I, you own many NFT. How many NFTs do you own? Quite a few now. Is this kind of now like how many how many hole in ones do you have? What what is this like? How, you, quite a few, like ten or like a hundred? No, I've say a thousand. I don't have a thousand. No, um, <laughs> no, I own uh, fungible tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum and a few other altcoins. And then also NFTs from different collections that I've built myself. Then also my friends built. Uh, I know the founders of. There's some amazing projects out there that have a lot of opportunity, a lot of upside. And I've definitely been part of, of other projects as well that I've purchased that gone to zero. So that is just like the VC game or the investing game. Not everyone's going to be a home run and just part of it. So in your 95% kind of estimation what do you think the five percent have in common what 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 is the obviously they've got they've got lucky there was some business there's some coolness there's a lot of scarcity they you know they had some good pr steph curry bought in there's a lot of other things but but even if steph curry buys in what, what is going to make links that five percent to be like uh, you know because it's still it still needs to be a successful business i mean there are golf courses without nfts that have people playing golf that still close for whatever reason, right? They just, they, they can't seem to charge enough and get the grass to be good. And then I don't, you know, I mean, there's so many aspects to being a successful 5% in this scenario from the NFT standpoint and specifically links down, what do you think is going to be required for it to be a success story? Yeah. Just like any other in real life business, it takes so much effort, so much luck, so many macro and micro environments and things that happen that allow you to succeed in it. And I believe because I'm now putting my name and reputation on it, being a founding member of LinksDAO, that LinksDAO is going to be one of them because I get to speak with the individuals that are running behind the scenes. I get to speak with the CEO, Jim Daly. I get to speak with the Alex Liebermans and the uh, AJ Vaynerchuks and the uh, Mike Dudas's and the and the Chris Matterns of the world behind it and the the Coopers of the world running the community that are so dedicated and so hard, fighting extremely hard to make it work and that is what takes for any business to make it work yeah. is individuals fighting extremely hard and then you jump into Discord and then you start talking to the people like the individual owners and also the people that don't own the NFT that come in there and talk about it, how much engagement and excitement is around it. And it is exciting. And this is the very yeah. early stages, but the all the elements are there for it to be successful because of the amount of effort that the people are doing it. And is there a, a likelihood of it failing? Sure. There is absolutely likelihood of it failing because just like anything else in this world, there's a zero percent a hundred percent certainty that things will always be successful so do your due diligence do your research find yeah. out who's running it see how hard the individuals are working for yourself before you get into it awesome man well thank you this has been really insightful i i really appreciate it and uh, i wish you the best with links now and all the other endeavors and uh maybe if i'm in florida we can connect and i don't know how often do you play golf do you want to play golf uh, i just I started a tech company and now I'm starting another tech company. So I don't really have time to do anything. So no time to do. Okay. All no. right. Well, so when we'll skip the golf we'll and we'll do something sure. else. Yeah. I love that. Well, I appreciate your time, Greg. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was fun.